It is so good seeing you again, all the familiar faces that I see. I feel the presence of the Lord in the house today. How many are thankful for what they feel? Uh, amen. Surely the presence of the Lord is in the place tonight, and we are here. And I want to turn your attention quickly to the book of Daniel chapter 1. And as you're turning there, let me give high honor to your pastor, uh, Brother Brandon Buford. We love him and his lovely wife. We're so thankful for them. Uh, there's some people I told my wife, uh, Sister Jess, so glad she and my family's here except Asher. I give her honor, but I was telling her, you know, there's just some people that you come in contact with that lift you up. You know, just being around them, they, they pull you and challenge you to be better. And uh, that's how I feel about you, Pastor, and your wife. You guys hold yourself in excellence, and I'm thankful for that, that we are friends and to know, know each other, Brother Keith Perryman and his lovely wife, I'm thankful for them. And then, of course, how many are thankful for what your youth pastor is doing here at the church? Amen. And of course, we give both you and your wife honor for that effort. Amen. We're thankful for that. And students, I don't know if the church knows what they're getting into this couple weeks, but Pastor Carl called me over to his office. I was in my trailer out back, and he said, you got to see this. And so we stood in. The little area over there watched on the computer as the power of God filled the sanctuary last night. I think it was last night, wasn't it? Last night. And what a powerful touch and move of the presence of God. That doesn't happen by accident. That happens when people of God humble themselves and pray and seek after God and prepare their hearts for more of God. And so, students, I'm thankful for what you're doing. And I am trusting that God knows what he's doing and he's going to reward all of you. Amen. If you have your Bibles and you're there at Daniel chapter 1, I'm going to throw out a little disclaimer. I apologize about my cough. I was in Florida. I left actually about a month and a half ago when we first left our house to Iowa. And uh, I came down with something. And everything is gone except that cough. And I apologize. It is what it is. So I'm just throwing that out there. Daniel chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. In the third year of the reign, Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. Verse 2, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And verse 3, watch what begins to happen here. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, and said... Or that he should bring certain of the ch children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children and whom was no blemish but well-favored, skillful in all wisdom, cunning in knowledge and understanding science, and such as had the ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the customs or teach the learning in the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them daily provisions of the king's meat. Everybody say the king's meat. And of the wine which the king drank, so nourishing them for three years, that at the end of these, or at the end thereof, they might stand before the king. Now amongst these were the children of Judah, <coughs> Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and unto Hananiah, Shadrach, and to Mishael, he gave Meshach, and Azariah of Abednego. Verse 8, my focus verse, 
that I feel the Lord is drawing my spirit or my heart to to preach to the students tonight. Verse 8 reads like this, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Again, Daniel purposed in his heart. Something happened to Daniel inside that caused him to set a barrier, that caused himself to distance him from the king's portions. Amen. Tonight I want to preach to you with the help of God, the Babylonian identity crisis. The Babylonian identity crisis. Students, if you want the power of God to fall in this place with a conviction, I'm asking you to set your Bibles down. I'm asking this church to lift your hands. And I want you to pray for me, but I also want you to pray this, that the conviction of God would fall in this place in a thick way, in a powerful way. That the anointing of God that can bring change and the anointing of God that changes lives would rest upon each and every one of us. Would you lift your hands right now? Would you lift your voices to the Lord and cry out, Lord, Lord, I'm coming to you right now and I'm asking for that special touch. I'm asking for the anointing of God, which only you can give. Help me to preach above my own abilities. Come on, church, I want you to cry out for a moment. Uh, Help me to preach above my own abilities. God, touch my voice and touch my body, Lord. I'm praying for each of the students, Lord, uh, that have prayed and fasted for your spirit to fall, that tonight uh, something would fall in this house, God, uh, that would bring change to somebody's life, God. uh, I pray that you break every yoke and you would lift us into the place of the spirit uh, that you have destined for this service. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Come on, say in the name of Jesus. Would you clap your hands one more to the Lord, time to the Lord and give him praise. Amen. If you're going to help me preach, you may be seated. Tonight, Brother Aaron is alarmed in his spirit. As I look back over the last few years, the last decade, if you were, at the multitude of people that I personally know who have walked away from God and are no longer living for him. As I look into the past, the past is scattered with the many faces of friends, relatives, acquaintances that have walked away from the preaching and the living the life of a true apostolic. The past is tainted with people who used to be great for God, people who used to run well, people who used to fight well, people who used to hold the banner of uh, apostolic identity high, but now some of these very people that used to be good for God are living lives uh, of homosexuality. They have uh, spent time behind bars for inappropriate actions. Uh, Some of them, my own ministerial peers, have posted on Facebook that they no longer believe uh, in the Word of God to be divinely inspired. Uh, Some of them have posted that they are agnostic until further review. Most of my friends in the past have forsaken uh, holiness living and holiness distinctions uh, and separation from the world, not to mention even those who just seem to disappear 
and fall off of the face of the earth, becoming another face in the crowd. And when I see this student body, I get alarmed in my spirit and I am forced to look in the face and ask this question, why? What happened? What happened? At some point, there has to be a switch. There has to be something for a person to go from loving God with all of their heart and walking with God to now walking away and no longer identifying as an apostolic. And so when I see this, I'm forced to ask myself this question, students. Why? What happened? How did you lose your identity as an apostolic uh, and have fallen into the mold uh, of this world that's round uh, about us? Perhaps there is someone out there today who knows what I'm talking about. Uh, you can only look so far back uh, in your past until those faces uh, begin to pop up. Uh, those faces that used to sit next to you in youth class but don't sit there anymore. Those faces that you used to see at church camp but you don't see them uh, anymore perhaps uh, as it is with me there is a fresh sting in your spirit uh, of personal loved ones or, or close unsaved loved ones or people that used to walk with God uh, but your family members that have uh, now left uh, the living uh, of an apostolic identity the empty seat next to you used to be filled with somebody on fire for God but now they're not there that empty seat, that empty pulpit that new worship leader they all have been replaced and at one point in time perhaps you know the feeling that I do where you're left staggering asking yourself what happened to my friends what happened in their life. It's not my message tonight, right now, but I want to just say this in this moment, uh, that, that this, uh, it didn't have to be that way. It didn't have to end that way. It doesn't have to be like that. Just because we know somebody whose fire's gone out doesn't mean that your fire has to go out. Just because you know somebody that's walked away from God doesn't mean that you have to walk with way, way, way from God. Just because somebody else has waxed cold doesn't mean you have to wax cold. Matter of fact, students, you hear, Brother Aaron, I have purposed in my heart that when I see another friend fall away, something happens in my spirit that says, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be somebody that used to fight. I don't want to be a has-been. Something breaks in my spirit that says, I've got to get closer to God. It didn't have to be that way. Perhaps the best answer that tells the story as to what happened to these who lost their identity and who has fallen away is told in the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The Bible said in Daniel 1, verse 1, in the third year, the reign Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar unto Babylon, the king of Babylon, to Jerusalem and besieged it. Verse 2 says, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into his hands along with part of the vessels of the house of God. As we continue to read, <coughs> we find that the king of Babylon requested of his servants that they were to go out 
in amongst all of these Jewish people that were brought in. And they were to filter through everybody. And they were to look for the people that were of the king's seed, those of the princes, well-favored, those that were cunning in science, the understanding and knowledge, those Jews that were kind of elite out of all of the captivity Jews, uh, and those Jews that could go and teach uh, the other Jews the customs and the ways and the language of the Chaldeans. And so it was at the king's request, the servants chose out an elite group, amongst whom was Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Unto them, the Bible says, was uh, appointed special treatment, special hospitality. In fact, the Bible uses uh, specific terms, and it says that they were given the king's wine and the king's meat. I want you to notice something, uh, the similarities between what is beginning to transpire in Scripture and in your walk with God in 2017. You see, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they weren't Babylonian citizens. Their resident home was not Babylon, but it was Jerusalem. Jerusalem was one of the chief cities in which the children of Israel resided. Israel was God's chosen people. Israel was a people that was called out. In fact, Israel, the Bible says, was a peculiar people because they had a relationship with a God whose hands wasn't carved out of wood, whose ears wasn't made out of stone, but they had a relationship with Jehovah. He was a God that could hear their prayers and hear their cry, and from their youth up, they were taught that Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love uh, this Lord, your Lord, your God, with all your heart, uh, soul, and strength. But all of a sudden, uh, they find themselves being thrusted uh, into an unfamiliar world uh, where Jehovah was no longer the focal point in life. Uh, All of a sudden, they find themselves in a completely different atmosphere than what they were used to back home in Jerusalem. Uh, And now these Hebrews were going to have to live for Jehovah in a world that didn't know who Jehovah was. They were going to have to live for Jehovah in a world that didn't have regard for his their God. And now they find themselves as strangers in a strange land. I want to say this, young students, if there's anything that we cannot lose sight of, of the people of God, saints alike out there, if there's one thing that we need to keep in the forefront of our eyes, it's this, that I am in this world, but I'm not a part of this world. Amen. I am in this world, but I'm not of this world. Amen. Somebody, my concepts are different. Did you realize that? My hope is different. My purpose in life is different. Why? Because there was a day that I was a sinner and Christ died for me. He washed my sins away, filled me with his Holy Spirit. He gave me a new hope, gave me a new destiny. Now I live by his rules. Now I live by his laws. I am in this world, but I'm not of it. Amen. You know, anytime there's a preaching on this topic, uh, it's generally accepted by about 90% of the the crowd uh, because the fact of the matter is, is if you claim to be a true Christian then your life is supposed to be, your example is supposed to be, the way you handle yourself is supposed to be, and it's going to be a light that is set on a hill. The Bible says, hey, light is good, 
if you're the light shining into the world, but if you're the darkness and the light shining into your world and it's revealing your dark deeds and your dark behaviors, then the light is hated, the Bible said. And Jesus said, you'll be hated amongst all men for my name's sake. Amen. And I say that to say this, that if your lifestyle's accepted by everybody, then I would question your identity. Come on, if you're fitting into your school and your peers, then I would question uh, your identity. God didn't call you to, to fit in. God called you to stand out. Uh, that's what this is all about. Uh, I'm not like this world. Uh, I don't want to be a part of this world. Uh, I don't want nothing to do with this world. Amen. You know, I get tired, and I'm going to be intentional in what I say. I get so tired, Brother Justin, of this world trying to crush me with its mold. I know what it's like to be a student. I know what it's like to leave and go to college and be a, 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 a co-worker to people that don't know God, don't love God. And every day we are faced to go out into a world that we're not a part of and to live a godly life, to live a righteous life. And every day there is a pressure that is trying to conform us to its mold. Romans what 12, 2, be not conformed to this world but transformed. And I get so sick and tired of the spirit of this world trying to belittle me, trying to mock me, trying to make me feel like I'm just somebody that needs a crutch. Here's the truth of the matter is Pastor Perryman, I could go out to St. Louis right now and I could experience all this world has in one night, but let's get straight right here right now. I don't want to do that. I don't do what I do to be safe. Hey, I choose this life. This is what I want. I don't want to talk like them. I don't want to be like them. I don't want to act like them. Why? Because I'm not a Babylonian. I'm a God's child. Amen. You know what, when I played football back in the high school days when I wasn't really in church, uh, I played football in our last game of the season. Last game of the season, it was a backyard brawl. It was, it was rivalry between two close towns, Muncie Indians and the Hughesville Spartans. I was on the Hughesville Spartans, uh, and I remember I went into that game saying, I'm going to leave it all on the field. During the game, we were putting the stomp on the Indians. And, I mean, we were dragging them down the field. We were up 31 to, to 4, 14, excuse me. And, and I remember this. I remember I plowed through the line to get a first, first down. And there was four people that just piled on top of me. One of the guy's legs somehow was over my head. Other guys were piled up. And all of a sudden, they began to pinch me. They began to start poking me and doing a little foul play. Buddy, I'll tell you what. I shot up off that ground. Guys legs went up over my head. I, I looked down on them like you're about ready to get stomped, my friend. And this is why I say that because every day this world tries to press you into its mold. This world tries to hold you down. This world tries to change your identity. But I want to say this, that it's time that somebody stands tall and proud and you say not today. I do what I do because I want to do it. Amen. I don't want to be like them. Amen. Truth of the matter is, is all it takes is for you to step in the presence of God one time. 
All it takes is a little prayer meeting to break out like it did now, and all of a sudden you get a witness in your spirit to, that it's not about the right here and right now. It's not, yeah, I got to go to work, uh, I got to go to school, I got to get an education, uh, but there's another world out there that we're a part of. Uh, and students, that world slipped down in here and visited you last night. Uh, all it takes is for us to step uh, into the realm of the spirit for just a moment, uh, and then we're able to see it like it really is. Uh, is that, yes, I'm here, but my hope is there. I'm here, but there's more for me. Somewhere else, uh, this is not my home. Listen, how could they do this, students? How could Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego maintain a proper relationship with Jehovah in a world that was heathen and pagan? How could they keep the emphasis on God without getting sucked into the mold of the Babylonian world? How can in 2017 a group of students maintain a right relationship with their God and a world does not believe in or have the same hope and the courage to stand for a God that they do? How can in 2017 we keep the emphasis on Jesus without getting sucked into the mold of the Babylonian world around us? I want you to notice a conflict then that begins to arise in the hearts of these four Hebrew children. When the king commanded them to eat the king's meat and to drink the king's wine, our opening scriptural verse, our focus verse said this, what Daniel purposed in his heart, that he would not defile himself with the king's meat or the drink. I've tried to come up with reasons why Daniel and them chose not to eat of the meat. I wondered if it was because it was meat offered to idols, uncultured swine. I wondered if it was fermented or something, but really you can't prove that. Commentaries, as I went back and I looked into it to try to get a little more insight, they, they, they alluded to the same thing. They alluded to uh, the fact that it might have been swine, um, but really you can't prove that. Some tried to go back and understand the food and the culture of that day, but again, you can't really prove any of that. And I went to the commentaries again and got the same vibe. Um, I don't know if Daniel saw the king's portion as sin or not. There was no law in Babylon that said you couldn't eat the king's portion. All of the other Jews, I'm going to say other Jews. I'm going to preach on that in just a moment. All of the other Jews ate and drank the king's portions. There was no law that said you couldn't eat the king's meat or drink his wine, but there was a law that said if you don't, the king can have your head. In fact, that's what the chief of the eunuchs was afraid of. He was afraid that if Daniel didn't eat and drink the king's portions for three years, that there would be a visible difference uh, between them and the other elite Jews, uh, and his life would be in danger. And the prince of the eunuchs told Daniel that, but Daniel told the king's servant, you give us ten days, uh, and if there's not a difference between us and the other ones, uh, then we will do what you want us to do. That was obvious. So if Daniel saw it as sin, uh, then later on he consented by default that I'm going to sin because he said if there's not a difference in ten days, then we will do what's right for you, what's right in your eyes. Well, the eunuch already said, we want you to eat the king's portion because I'm afraid for my life. I can't tell you the full reason why. All I know is this, that from the context of the scripture, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they got a check in their spirits to withdraw themselves from the king's portions. When the king offered them the drink and the, the meat, there was something inside that was a conflict. 
I don't know how it broke down. Maybe, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Something doesn't feel right. I'm not a Babylonian. I'm an Israelite. I, I, this isn't my home. I don't know. Hey, hey, Daniel, Shadrach, you remember when we used to sit in Jerusalem and mom and dad and Judah and mom and dad would, would put us on their laps and say, here, oh, Israel, the Lord, our God is one Lord. And you're to love that God with all of your heart. Something didn't feel right. They thought about it. They considered it until the Bible finally says uh, that they purposed in their heart uh, not to defile themselves. I like what the one commentator said. He said this, it's easier to defend your position as a child of God and stay away from sin when it's at a distance from you than when it's up close and in front of your face. It's easier to defend yourself from sin when you have separated and drawn clear distinguishing guidelines of where or what you're not going to do. In other words, if I'm not making sense, it's easier to say no to drugs when you're not at the party where there's drugs. It's easier not get wrapped up in alcohol when you're not hanging around the peers uh, that are drinking alcohol. It's easier not to lose your sexual purity when you're not dating people that don't have the same uh, outlook on you. It's easier not to get wrapped up uh, in more immorality when you put up fences uh, and barricades uh, to say, you know what, I'm not even going to go there. It might not be sin, but it's going to lead me in the wrong direction. It's easier to maintain your apostolic identity when you keep this world behind fences uh, that you have constructed, barricades uh, that you have set up, uh, and walls that you have erected uh, to keep the world at arm's length. Amen. Your apostolic identity, it shines the loudest and screams the hardest uh, when it's not entangled uh, in the affairs of this world. Your apostolic identity works the best when you're living in a Babylonian world, but you don't have a part with them. You're living here, but you don't identify with them. That's when your life stands and shines the brightest. Come on, somebody, help me preach. Amen. And so I asked the question, what gave them this assurance? Not to partake in the king's portion. What did they base their decision off of? What do you do when you're in a world that does not have a true concept of God or results? What do you do, pastor, when you're in a Babylonian world that is constantly pushing for you to be like them? What do you do when you're in a Babylonian world that wants you to conform to its image better yet? What do you do when you're in a Babylonian world that's trying to get you to be like them and you don't have scripture in black and white to tell you what to do? We might as well accept the fact uh, that everything we face now in 2017, we don't have scriptures uh, that line it out in either black or white. What do you do? I'll tell you what you do. You live your life uh, based on an overriding principle of what does God think. Well, amen. When you're not sure about the content of the DVD, you're getting ready to put in the DVD player, what does God think? Is this going to put me further to God or is this going to push me away from God? When you're not sure of the music uh, that you're putting in your ear pods and your iPods and your iPads, uh, just ask yourself, Jesus, uh, are you happy with what this music's saying? You live your life by an overriding principle of how does this affect my walk with God. 
What do you do when you're in a Babylonian world that wants you to conform to its image? And better yet, all the other Jews that came with you, they have eaten and drank of the king's meat. What do you do then? What do you do when God has put something in your spirit and heart for your ministry and your peers don't see eye to eye with that and they're entangling themselves in things that you know you shouldn't because it doesn't push you into what God's doing? What do you do? You know, I, I remember Jess was kicking me under the table at dinner as the debate was going on. She does that a lot. She was kicking me, Pastor, and high heels in the shin don't feel too good after a while. You know what I'm saying? But the, the debate was against two people that I went to Bible school with. And the debate was based on, and don't, don't, amen me, don't say, I do not want to know what you do. Just hear it from an outside voice that doesn't know anything that you do. And just open, consider what I have to say. Pastor, the debate was whether or not it was right or wrong to listen to country music. Don't look, don't smile, don't give yourself away if you do. I don't want to know. And I'm debating about it. Listen, I, I wasn't always in the church. I would rather listen to death metal than country music anytime. I wouldn't do it. I'm a little biased. I'm just saying. I mean, it drives me Drives me crazy. I, I was forced to listen to that garbage at work. I mean, and every day it's like the same song. And I'm thinking, I'm about ready to put my finger in my eye. I'm about ready to do something here to take away the pain. And, and, and you know, every day out on the shop floor, I got to listen to it. And then, you know, the, the, the meatheads out there, the, the knuckleheads, it's like, they get, there's like a catchy tune, and all of a sudden when this song comes on the shop, they're all out there singing, and it's like, oh, this is terrible. <laughs> but I've listened to it long enough, not by my will. I'm just trying to help you to understand. It was against my will. I was a hostage. It's kind of like, the, it's like those group text messages, you know, you're a hostage. All I can say is I've been around long enough to hear, hear almost two years of what the top releases are and then some. And that was enough for me to argue that it wasn't a good thing for me to be on. And his wife was saying, no, there's good songs in country. That's what it sounded like to me. She was like, no, there's good songs in country. <laughs> oh, yeah, is that a fact? I get it, I get it. Once in a while, I guess there was a song when I was in the shop, God and Me. I can't even tell you how it goes. But it had God in it. How could it not be good? You know what I told him? I said, you're right. There are, there are a few, and by a few I mean a select few songs uh, that you could listen to and it not be wrong. But I don't want to have to dig through all the bones to find one little fragment to, that I can hear. I'm driving it home. There's a reason why, and I'm going to get to it at the end of the message. You're going to know why I'm preaching like I am tonight. Come on, I feel the Holy Ghost as a witness. 
I'm not trying to be old-fashioned. I'm not trying to be hard-nosed. You hear me to the end of this message, and you're going to know my heartbeat of why I would preach like this. We got out into the car. The radio came on, and they went right to country music. And the country music, all of a sudden, I found myself out in a field getting checked for ticks. I found myself running around all over the place. And I'm thinking, and all of a sudden, oh, this ain't a good song. The next song comes in, uh, and I'm bumping and grinding in a bar with people that I don't even know, and I'm getting drunk. Uh, the next song comes in, and I'm cheating on my wife. Uh, the next song comes on, uh, and I'm thinking to myself, and the whole time she's up there just grooving with the beat, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I don't feel good in my spirit. Four years later, the news came that she cheated on her husband. She was into the bars, got wrapped up in the floozy scene, and destroyed his ministry. Is it a surprise to you, Brother Aaron? It's not because you are what you eat. When you ingest garbage, you're filled with garbage. There's a reason we do what we do. It's because if it's driving you away from God, it's going to destroy you. We have to learn to make our decisions based on how they affect my walk with God. It's not sin, Aaron. That's the problem. Just because it's not sin doesn't mean it's going to have a bad influence on your future. And it's not going to be detrimental years down the road. Daniel knew that if he opened the door to his flesh, he would become numb to the spirit. If you feed your flesh's appetite, you won't have a hunger for the spiritual things. You don't think the devil knows what he's doing when he, he comes. Uh, I, I don't see it as an accident. The king knew what he was doing. If I can just get them to eat of my portions and my meat, then they're going to be cold. They're going to change who they are. They're going to become like me. The devil knows that when he's appealing to your flesh's appetite, that if you take the bait, if you take that meat or drink per se, that you're going to become numb to the spirit and desensitized to the spiritual things. So I see this, I see that the precedence that is set in Scripture is though even though Daniel thought it might not be a sin, he ran everything through that gauntlet of how will this affect my spiritual appetite? How will this affect my long-term walk with God? I remember the day that I began to base my life off of this decisions or this principle. Jess and I, and please forgive my uh, reference, is we weren't always in the church Matter of fact, Jess was a high school sweetheart and I won her to the Lord. She came to Bible school with me when God called me and God began to work on our lives. But there was a day where we used to go out and we would buy, we would rent any of the new releases. It didn't matter the ratings or anything. We just did what we did. That's how we lived. And I remember that we used to, and again, just hear my story. This is my story. I'm not pushing it on anybody. You have got to do what you have to do in your walk with God. And that's between you and God. But here's my story. I remember we used to, we used to have the Friends DVDs. And again, don't 
look at me or any way that would identify anything. We used to have friends, uh, and we had all this series of friends. Uh, and I remember I invited my brother over to watch a couple of them, and then all of a sudden he stopped coming over. And I said, are you mad at me? Are you, what, what's going on? Are you upset with me? He's like, no, I just can't watch that anymore. He's like, it's not settling right in my spirit. He said, none of them are married, and they all have sexual relationships. They're always joking about things that the Bible tells me not to be a part of. They're always laughing and making jokes of worldly things when that's not pleasing. I said, okay, the next week I was in class with Brother James Merrick. I don't know if you know Elder Merrick, but that man has a conviction ministry. And he began to preach out of Romans chapter 1. And when he listed 1 through 28 through verse 31, all of the sins, 28 sins. And then in verse 32 he said, who knowing the judgment of God, but not only those that do them, but them that have pleasure in those that do them. And so then it linked it together with association. And I realized when the conviction of God fell whenever they're joking around about their immorality and I'm laughing and having a part uh, I am just as guilty as what they are something fell in that classroom uh, and conviction hit my heart uh, you can ask Jess I went home uh, and I broke every one of the DVDs over my knees uh, and I cleaned my house uh, of things that all of a sudden I realized uh, that if Jesus was sitting there watching uh, he would have no part in uh, the first immorality scene that came in uh, he would get up and leave and I cleaned house I want to be pleasing to I want God to smile at me. When God looks down from heaven, I want him to be able to say, that's my boy. I want to please God. As we continue to read, and I'm going to wrap this up in just a second. We see that the Lord brought Daniel into favor, tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. The prince of the eunuchs feared, again, that there would be a noticeable difference between the four and the other Jews who did eat the king's portions. But Daniel said, give us ten days, let us compare ourselves. And verse 15 says this, that after 10 days they appeared fairer and fattier in the flesh than all of the children that did eat the king's meat and did drink the king's wine. You say, where are you? You might not think, or you might think, what about those other Jews that did eat it? What about them? I want to talk to you about the other Jews that did eat the king's portions and drink the king's meat, or, or excuse me, eat the king's portions and drink the king's wine, because it will only take one verse to talk about them, because the Bible only mentions them one more time and one verse, and that's when he compared Daniel and the other three to those that did eat the portions, and the reference that the Bible makes is, those that chose to separate themselves, uh, they were fairer and fattier than the flesh uh, than all of the other Jews uh, that did eat the king's portions and did drink uh, his wines. Amen. If we don't learn this concept, uh, that if we partake of the king's portions, uh, it's only going to be a matter of time before you fade into the Babylonian world. Go ahead. Fill your iPods with garbage. Watch whatever you want. You might be here in two years, but you continue to do it, I promise you, I promise you, it's a slow fade. 
It's a slow fade in so much that even two years won't even identify how much you have become a Babylonian. But you give it ten years and you're going to wake up one day and realize that I'm just like the Babylonians. There's no more. There's an identity crisis that's happening in our world. And it comes from people who don't separate themselves from the Babylonian world that they live in. Praise team, would you join me? The Bible says Daniel purposed in his heart. Come on, somebody touch your heart. Come on, he purposed in his heart. Nobody has ever walked away from God whose heart was in love with God. Nobody. People walk away from God when they slowly let something else creep into their walks with God and steal the affections of their heart. <clears throat> it's about the direction of your future, spirits. Saints, it's about the direction of your future and where it's taking you. It's about, am I becoming numb to the way of God, the will of God, the spirit of God, because I'm feeding my flesh's appetite and I'm losing my appetite for the things of God. I'm not talking about whether it's sin or not. I'm talking about how it affects your spirit and the direction it causes you to go. I've been called a radical by a lot of my peers, my stance on entertainment. There's things that we choose or choose not to do. You know what? I don't care. Because this world's lost and it's dying and it's on the way to hell. And the last thing it needs is some phony that comes in the church and claims to have power but denies the power thereof or claims to have godliness but denies the power. What this world needs is somebody to get a hold of God and live for God and make nothing more important but your relationship with God. tired of the Babylonian identity crisis. I'm tired of seeing people fade into the world. But just as much as they decide to walk away from God, I'm going to walk towards God. Let's all stand. I want to operate where God has called me. You say, Brother Aaron, why would you choose to preach like this on the first night of unlock? Why are you preaching like this now? Because I want to operate in the realm of the supernatural while living in a Babylonian world. I want to operate in the, the realm of my calling. And the Bible says this, that 
those that went with the flow, they just faded into the Babylonian world. That was the last you heard of them, brother. You don't hear of them doing anything great for God. You don't hear of them standing out. You don't hear of them anything. As a matter of fact, later on in Daniel chapter 3, when Nebuchadnezzar built an altar, and he said, everybody bow, all of those Jews bowed. Here's the key. Verse 17 says this, but for Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and all wisdom. Uh, and Daniel had understanding in all visions uh, and all dreams. Here's the key and here's why I'm preaching this to you. Because not only did God bless their physical countenance, uh, but God blessed them with spiritual anointing and spiritual insight. And God gave them the ability to operate into the realm of the Spirit. I felt a, such a strong nudge, and I'm going to visit again in my spirit while meditating on this. I felt a, such a strong nudge when I was thinking about the other elite group. And I don't know why I'm saying this. Maybe it's for a saint or some a, a adult. Maybe not just the students, but hear me. You better be careful that you let your peers define where you go in God rather than your own destiny and your own heart leading you to where God is calling you. Students, if I'm talking to you and you got peers in your life uh, that aren't for you going where God's go telling you to go, they aren't for you becoming radical for God, you better make sure that they don't define who you become. Uh, what would happen uh, if Daniel and those other men uh, let the other Jews define who they were? Uh, they would have lost uh, their ministry. Uh, they wouldn't have been used by God. Uh, well, man, somebody hear my heart right now. Don't let somebody define who you are. Who knows the directions your peers would take you if you let them define who you are? Who knows the direction you're going to be at in 10 years uh, if you give your identity as an apostolic into the hands of somebody else? Uh, that might, here's, the, here's the problem. Uh, God might be calling somebody out of this youth group uh, to go into a mission field, uh, and your consecration uh, and your dedication might be more than what somebody else's is that's not called to do that. Uh, and if you let them define who you are, you're going to lose your anointing. I know it's 2017 and I know it's a hard message to preach but pastor I still believe consecration is what we need a life that says you know what I'm not going to be like the rest of the world I feel the Holy Ghost right now I'm not going to be like the rest of them come on students do you feel God right now tugging at your heart what's the Holy Ghost speaking to you right now what's he whispering into your ear what's he saying to you saints, friends, visitors what's God speaking to you right now Come on, what's he showing you in your mind that might be a device, uh, that might be a king's meat or a king's drink? Uh, where are you at in your walk with God? What's God speaking to you? Come on, I see some youth tapping into the spirit of God as God is talking to them. I can feel the Lord moving. Verse 19. Come on, just stay right there in the presence of the Lord and let the word of God edify you right now. Verse 19. And the, after three years, the king communed with them. And among them all, 
was found none like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore, they stood by the king, and in all manners of wisdom and understanding, the king inquired of them. He found them to be ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that was in his realm. I know this message started out hard and could have been received as another preaching, preaching, preacher, preaching sin. Uh, but hear me, our consecration still matters. Uh, and I want to preach to the students with all my heart uh, that your consecration to God is what's going to unlock the supernatural in your life. Uh, it's going to be what unlocks the ministry God has called you to. Uh, is when you can say, you know what, I separate myself for the calling of God. I wonder if there's a student who would begin to make a consecration tonight. Come on, I wonder if there's a saint, a friend, a visitor in here that says, you know what? It's time that I get consecrated to God. Come on, I know you have ministries. Students, as you're coming and you're seeking the face of God, there's no way God could fall in this, this house like he did last night uh, unless uh, there is students here that are hungry and are wanting to be used by him. Uh, don't let somebody strip you of your anointing. Uh, don't let a peer dictate where you go in God. Praise team, take us into a song. Oh, we want and all. What's God calling on your heart right now? What's God speaking to you right now? 